0: We are in the middle of this Lenten season, and we are listening to the voices of Mark's gospel, in particular the voice of Jesus and what he says about what what it means to follow him, what it means to belong to him, and where he is headed, what his mission is. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, if you want to turn there. we'll We'll be picking up that text in just a minute. You'll hear me and, and many of us, I think, around this church community at JCC speak about what it means to be a family. That word comes up a lot. And I think that, that word is significant for us as a church body, not just because it has kind of warm feelings or, or a, it, it's, it's a comfortable term, but because families are fundamentally a, a place that communicates who we are. Families communicate an identity to us. They offer to us a story of both our worth, the places that we are loved. Families are also places that know our shortcomings. They know that we are broken, that we wound one another sometimes. But but even in the midst of that They can be redemptive places where we grow and where we mature and where we become who the Lord has called us to be. Part of the way, though, that we think about what it means to belong to a family, we draw from our experience. right? From our our nuclear families, from our relatives, from the culture in which we've grown up. And one of the, the striking statistics about families in the modern era is the shrinking size of the family unit. If you were to look at some of the census records, right around the Revolutionary War period, 1790 or so, roughly the year this church was founded, if you were to walk around Jericho Center, if you were to knock on the doors of, of the houses at that time, chances are you would find at least a half a dozen people living in most households. I think the average number of occupants in a household at that time was around seven. If you fast forward to the 1950s, the most common household size was two individuals. I mean, the average family was larger than that, but the average, the most, the most common household size was, was two people. And today, that number has shrunk even further. Today, the most common household size, if you were to knock on doors today, the most common answer you would receive is that one person is living in that household. More than 40 million homes in the United States are occupied by one person. And so that, that's changing both the way we live, it's changing the number of people we live with, it's changing the proximity uh, with which we, we live in relationship to those people who are part of our families. And again, it shapes our understanding then of of who we are and what it is to be known and to be in relationship. Even though the, the size and the shape of families are changing in our culture and in many cases are shrinking. As we come to the Gospel of Mark today, I want us to hear what Jesus says about how he wants to transform, how he wants to expand, how he wants to redefine the way we think about That notion of family. And what the gospel does with family when when those two things meet. So we're going to open up to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. We're going to look at most of this passage. There's kind of a a discursus or or a a tangent. There's a story about the Pharisees that we've sort of lifted out of the middle. uh, But you can read that at home this morning, uh, later this morning if you like. We're going to focus in on what... The gospel has to say about family today. Let me pray for us as we open the Word of God. Jesus, we are thankful for your voice recorded for us in Scripture. The voice that comes proclaiming the kingdom of God, the voice that calls us to follow you, the voice that calls us. To repent and, and to turn and to be written into a new story into a new family into a new identity Jesus thank you for this community of the church that is part of who we now are in you together would you help us to hear your word clearly this morning Lord as I teach may the words of my mouth may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pick up with Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside... ...and he called to him those he wanted... ...and they came to him. He appointed twelve of them that they might be with him... ...and that he might send them out to preach... ...and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas... James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot—those who are uh, the one who betrayed him. In these handful of verses in chapter three, Mark describes for us what is the first gospel community—the first sort of core of, of people that Jesus assembles around Himself there on. ...a hillside in Galilee. And there's something about mountainsides... ...that's that's fundamental to the way God calls people in the Scriptures. If you go back to the book of Exodus, right? Moses goes up a mountain in the Sinai Desert. And there he, he takes an army of Hebrew slaves... ...and he enters with them into covenant with the living God... ...and they become a new people, they become a new nation... A generation later, the prophet Joshua would lead that next generation of people into the promised land, and he would assemble them on two mountainsides, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And there they would renew that covenant, renew those promises, both its blessings and its curses, and they would enter again into what it means to be a people, a community committed to the living God. And so here, when Jesus heads up this hillside or mountainside in Galilee, he too is about to refresh and to renew the family of God in that generation. And verse 13 lets us in on a little bit of Jesus' strategy. Instead of choosing 12 tribes of people, Jesus selects 12 individuals from a diverse kind of wide-ranging set of backgrounds. In this list we have fishermen. We have tax collectors. We have zealots. We even have one who will be a betrayer. But the text says that they are all selected according to only one criterion. It's not so much about where they've come from or what they've done. They're selected, it says in verse 13, because they are the ones Jesus wanted. They're selected because they're the ones Jesus wills and desires to know more deeply. In these 12 guys, Jesus sees sort of unearthed treasures, ready, ready to be brought forth, ready to be developed, ready to be redeemed. And so he calls each of them by name. He calls these 12 individuals on purpose. And he calls them to come in close. And as he draws them to himself, he says, you will be my disciples. And we might wonder, well, what is the nature of that invitation? What is he inviting them to be a part of? I think verses 14 and 15 give us a beautifully concise but powerful definition of discipleship. Jesus says, from now on these 12 guys have fundamentally two jobs. They are called to be with Jesus, verse 14 says, and they are called to be sent out by him. The invitation to discipleship then is, is fundamentally learning to live out of these two postures. The posture of witness and the posture of witness of being sent. In this simple but but really helpful book, simply called With. Author Sky Jathani suggests that if we were to take the whole narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, the overriding plan of God is is always to find ways to be with his people. He's always looking to, to recover and redeem our rebellion, our alienation. And so he is a God who draws near to us. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God, that it's in our midst, that Jesus doesn't do that from arm's length, as Brian said last week. Right? The, the call to discipleship, the call to know Jesus is one to be with him. And so he selects this group of friends and he draws them in. And his his design, his intention, is that these individuals will be close enough to hear what Jesus says. They'll be close enough to watch what he does. That they'll be close enough to eat around his table. To work alongside of him. And to be so close to Jesus that that who he is rubs off onto them. That they're able to spend enough time in his presence that they are transformed. The voice of Jesus is fundamentally one that calls us into witness. I don't know about you, but I routinely struggle to prioritize that kind of relational space in my life. Most of my days are spent living my life doing things for people. Responding to people... But if you reflect back on, on what really is, is critical... ...the things that have formed you and shaped you... And, ...and built you up as a person... right? ...most of those experiences are ones of withness in relationship. Right? It's when we sense that someone is beside us... ...when someone is listening to us... ...when someone is supporting us and is behind us... ...and is connected to us in our spirits... Think about how it makes you feel when someone says, hey, I I just would like to spend some time with you. I just want to sit down with you. I just want to be together with you today or for these next few moments. As Jesus calls us to be his disciples, those are the words he uses. I want you to be with me. I just want to be with you. And so we're we're formed, we're shaped, we come to understand who we are by being in the presence of Jesus. But as we learn to enjoy and learn to give priority to that place of witness, Jesus then introduces a, a next posture to our discipleship. And that is one of witness. What we come to discover is that our relationship with the community that we enjoy in the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the, the fatherhood of God, that tri-unity of who God is. That community and that relationship is not exclusive. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Right? The, the withness, the community of discipleship we experience in who God is, is one that is meant to go out and to bring others into it. As verses 14 and 15 explain, right, the, the twelve disciples are encouraged to move back and forth between times of being with Jesus and then times of being sent out by him. Sent out to bring others into that place of knownness. So discipleship is both withness and witness. And we see that played out in the Gospels. Right? There are these times of intensity, these times of retreat, these times where Jesus brings the twelve or, or even the four closest disciples to him in a, in a very personal way. But then there are regular periods, where, we're told, where they're sent out into the surrounding villages, where they proclaim and preach the good news of Jesus, where they heal in his name, where they drive out demons in his name. And then from that time they... ...come back and they return to be with Jesus again. Right? Discipleship is about going in and out. Right? It's about being called to Jesus and being sent. And in, in, that, in that rhythm, in that posture... ...Jesus says that, that he is developing, he is building... ...he is redefining what it means for us to belong to a family. And we see that in the way this chapter continues... Jesus gathers the disciples to himself, he calls the twelve, and then he heads back into a nearby village. Verse 20, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, Jesus is out of his mind. And then there's this interchange between Jesus and the Pharisees there in the village. But in verse 31, we pick up the story again with Jesus' family. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And standing outside the house, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they told him. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is... ...redefining what it means to be in his family. Mark tells us that as soon as Jesus calls this, this first group... ...this tight-knit community of the twelve... ...immediately there is attached to that a, a bigger, a broader, and extended community... ...that also wants to be in on what's happening. And verse 20 says that as they go back into the neighboring village... ...possibly to Peter's house there... Or John's house, I'm sorry, Simon Peter's house. Verse 20 says that, that there are so many people pressing in that every house they enter is, is standing room only, right? There's, there's no, no, no space left. They, they fill it up. They're longing to be attached to that new community. And it doesn't take long before word gets back to Nazareth, just some miles away in Galilee, and it gets back to Jesus' family, and they hear about what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is teaching, and in particular, they hear about this movement that is forming around him. And their conclusion, it says, is that Jesus has lost his mind. Right? Not only is Jesus claiming this new authority, not only is he proclaiming the gospel in powerful ways, but now he has this This whole following that wants to be with him. And I think the fear of Jesus' family is that Jesus is going to ruin their family name. Right? He's going to bring controversy. He's going to bring shame upon their extended family. And so we see in verse 21 that they go out to take charge of Jesus. That phrase was used sometimes in the Greek to to speak about apprehending a criminal and bringing them to justice. Right? The, The family has this sense that Jesus is in a dangerous place. Jesus needs to be brought back in. He needs to be brought back into their understanding and their definition of family. But when his mother and his brothers arrive, when they finally track Jesus down to this one particular house... Mark says they can't actually get a hold of him. Right? Their plan to sort of strong arm Jesus back home is foiled because there are just simply too many people in the crowd. And so they find someone there in the crowd and they, they send them in as a messenger. And they, they sort of squirm their way through this throng of people and they get to where Jesus is. And they deliver the message. Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they're outside, they're, Looking for you. I think maybe you're supposed to go home now. But look how Jesus responds to that. Jesus says, In the kingdom that I've come to proclaim, while, while relatives of flesh and blood are, are a beautiful and powerful thing, something God has designed with purpose for us, in the kingdom of God, they come second. Because from now on out the notion of family is going to be prioritized by relationships of discipleship. The notion of family is going to be reorganized around me, Jesus says. He says, my mother and brothers are right here. Right? They are the ones I have called to be with me. Those called to do the will of God, to bring this new kingdom. So what I think Jesus is doing here is he's taking that fundamental desire, the way God has created us to long for what it means to be part of a family. That sense of knownness and withness and intimacy. And Jesus says, I want to take the family and I want to make it a frontier for mission. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ then is to have our homes and to have our living rooms and to have our families extended to include all those Jesus is drawing unto himself. Right? The, the way that God's kingdom grows is as he brings new brothers and new sisters and new mothers to us. Right? That, that those boundaries are, are redefined and, and, and reimagined ...by Jesus and his call to discipleship. This morning we have the privilege of having Steve Thrall with us. Steve, if you want to come on up here. For those of you who don't know Steve and his wife Mickey... ...they have uh, been sent out many years ago, back in the 80s I believe, right? Uh, by this community to um, Paris, France and in, in the area around there... Um, ...to be missionaries and to be part of what God's kingdom is about there... And to work in particular with the uh, art community, the community of artisans and musicians and and all sorts of of wonderful stuff. Um, But recently that mission and work has taken a a new form as they are seeking to create literally a home, a family, a a space and a community to draw uh, those who are are coming to and and beginning to ask questions about the gospel in. And so I wanted to give a few minutes to Steve to, to share a little bit of that with us.
1: A few years ago, uh, it goes back, back probably about nine years ago, in the art space downtown, um, I was introduced to an artist who was in his 70s, and uh, I was introduced as a pastor, and I ran the art space, and he stuck out his hand, sort of without a, much of a um, look on his face, he just said, hi, I'm Pierre, I'm, I'm an atheist, just wanted me to let me know, this. I was supposed to steer, steer clear. But Pierre loved what we were doing with the art space. He loved the art that was on the wall. He loved the interaction with the other artists. He started coming regularly. And one day about, um, uh, oh, it must have been three months later, um, I was in the kitchen in the back preparing something, and he walked in, and he said, I just, I figured out something this week. I said, what did you figure out? He said, I just realized that every single person in this team that I've fallen in love with, you're all Christians, aren't you? He knew I was, but he learned that everyone that was managing the space were also Christians. And I looked at him and I said, What do you think about that? He says, It's okay. This is good, he said. And we've gone on from there, and Pierre became part of our family. I was listening to the sermon and I realized um, in our, our family, because of where we lived, he lived just down the street. He's been in the art community for 55 years at that point. He would come for Christmas. He would come for special events. He'd give gifts to our kids. He didn't have kids, he's a single guy. Um, and he knows everyone in the art community in Paris, both music as well as film, and he's a visual artist, quite, quite well known and appreciated. But he needed a family, and uh, our family became that for him. Another artist, more recently, uh, named Nathalie. Nathalie teaches art at the, at the Louvre uh, Museum a school that connected with the Louvre right across the river from the art space. We were doing a show with her. Uh, she's been in the art community again also for many, many years. When I first met her, she was very demanding in what she wanted and I thought, oh boy, this is, we're gonna have to work hard on this one to, to do it right for, with this woman. But we hung the show for her, and one of the people that was helping us hang was Pierre. Uh, and uh, she, had a, she was really happy when it was on the wall and it looked wonderful and then, um, We had the opening night. At the end of the opening night, she came back to see me, almost beaming. And she said, I don't know what you guys do here, but this is amazing. She said, all my friends have been coming up to me saying, I've never seen a gallery like this. It's so warm and welcoming and and meeting all kinds of people. We're just having fun. And she says, everyone's saying that. What do you do to make that happen, she said. Now, she doesn't have any connection with the church, and I... Didn't, it wasn't my time to launch into the gospel, but I did say that uh, uh, that you know we we are a number of us are connected with uh, with the church space, and we just uh, we we want to warmly welcome people. And she thought, Wow, that's interesting. I've never met anyone like that before. And um, she came for a, she and her husband came for a, a Christmas party that we put on. And again, she just absolutely loved it. And uh, there were about 90 artists there that night. We expected about 25. There were 90 artists there. Uh, and they stayed until after midnight. And the common theme was they needed community. Uh, and they didn't want to go home. They asked for another one. So recently we, we, we did another one. And this was by invitation only. We, we just targeted about 20 artists. And again, people came uh, and they stayed um, uh, for hours and hours. It just uh, had conversation about art about their personal lives. And uh, it was a mix, again, of Christians and non-Christians, all in the arts community. And it was a wonderful experience. And one more story, just uh, like that, in our, our artist residence. By the way, Natalie came right after Christmas with her husband to our art space out in Normandy. She wanted to see it. And she brought another of her artist friends and her family and ended up spending a whole afternoon together just chatting over coffee and tea um, and she wanted her artist friend to, to see what we were doing. And, and in our art space, I mean in our, our artist residence in Normandy, there is a, uh, a young man that uh, we've gotten to know over the last few years. He writes, uh, writes theater, um, s- short sketches. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, and he writes sketches to put on this, his channel. Um, he films them and, and puts them on. And he's from a uh, he grew up in, you know, he's Lebanese, but he grew up in Kuwait uh, and went to school in, in Paris, and now he's about 30. And he, he's from a Maronite Catholic background, um, but rather confused spiritually, but open. So he came to do some writing, he got a lot of writing done, and then he would come over in the evening, we invited him over for dessert, and we got talking. And we talked for an hour and a half about the Lord, and he started asking questions. And the next night he said, um, can I come over again? I, I want to continue where we left off. And he just recently came back for a second visit. And uh, this time, he started right off. He said, he said to me, because it was just me there, Mickey was traveling, and he said, he said, are you going to church on Sunday? And I said, yeah. He said, would you mind if I came with you? I've never been to a Protestant church. And I said, you're welcome to. And uh, again, we had these wonderful conversation. And just, uh, just two days ago, I got a text from him saying, uh, some of my sketches have been entered into a film festival in Hollywood for short films. And he was just wanted to let me know, he was really excited about it. Um, and it's, what I'm finding is that's a relationship, this community that opens the door for conversation and for plunging into the lives of people. And I love sitting there with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and chatting with these folks for an hour and a half or two hours, just in their, about their lives, and God does the rest.
0: Thank you, Steve. I encourage you, if you have time today during the fellowship hour, Steve will be around for both services. I think he, he pulls out of town on Tuesday or Wednesday from Montreal, yeah. so if you have some time, um, you could get together with him uh, in the next couple of days and hear more about the way that that community is developing. I think in the same way that Steve and Mickey are drawing people into their family and into that that space of retreat and being known, I think one of the greatest assets we have at JCC here is this sense of identity and family and, and the many particular families that are part of our church, right? One of the wonderful things about this community is we have families that span... ...multiple generations. We have families that are serious about the call to discipleship. Right? Where, where parents and grandparents are, are mentoring... ...and calling their children into a love for Jesus. But I think where the voice of Jesus here in chapter 3... ...would challenge us... ...where, where that, that point of application comes... ...is what would Jesus desire to do... Not to diminish the relationships we have with our immediate families. But how might Jesus desire to open those families up in a, in a missional way? To become outposts of his kingdom and his discipleship. Right? How can our families you know, both know the, the witness of Jesus but also be evidence of his witness? Right? To go out and to draw our community into the fellowship we enjoy. Right, how do our families grow to include those who are single in our community? How do our families grow to include those who are divorced? How do our families grow to include those who are searching? Let me encourage you. We've, we've talked about some Lenten practices, and one of the ideas I gave you a couple weeks ago is, is to spend time fasting somewhere in each week to hear the voice of God, to, to be... Uh, available in prayer to the Holy Spirit. But in addition to that, that discipline of fasting, let me encourage you to think about also practicing the discipline of feasting. And feasting in particular by, by opening up your table and bringing someone into your home for a meal. Maybe it's someone in this church community that you, you're growing to know and you, you sense a desire to, to develop a greater depth of friendship. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a colleague that you know is, is longing for a deeper sense of relationship and knownness. Right, what would it look like for you to, to invite them and in, to, to have that as a regular rhythm and routine in, in your family? Whether you're one person or whether your family is, is ten people, to, to just practice that sense of, of withness and witness. Finally, I, I just want to say to anyone who is here this morning and you, you are sensing that deep longing to be known, that deep longing to have a place of belonging, a place of witness. My prayer is that this church, that, that in the relationships that we develop, we would be a place of God's healing and God's mission, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, that we might grow together to be people who could say, you are my brother, you are my sister, you are my mother, you are my father in the Lord. And and we're pressing into the depth that the kingdom of God has to offer us in that place. Let me pray for us today. Lord, you are always working to make us your people. Lord, there is nothing about us that merits that favor. But there is much in us that through sin and disobedience and fear and pain, Lord, we, we shrink back from being known in the way you desire to know us. But Lord, would you continue to pursue us with the voice of the gospel, the voice that calls us to you, and then calls us into a community and a family centered around you. May your Holy Spirit work powerfully to make us your brothers and sisters today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.